And it's so funny. I go on these panels with VCs and it's like I'm giving away their secrets. They're like, well, not us. And I'm just like, get the fuck out of here. Yes, it is. Even if it's maybe a few more years, it's your responsibility to get a return. Yep. Stop yeah, bullshit. And that, that's the annoy. I clap back at VCs all day. They're my friends, but I still clap back at them. <laughs>
Mm. We were told to do all these things. We were told to go get the fancy degree. We were told to do whatever. And we see those people that took those steps and they have no options right now. And um, Malcolm Gladwell actually talks a lot about this in time of history when entrepreneurship thrives. And it's usually those pressure points in society when we look up and we were like, no, we can't be dependent (laughs) on these systems. Um, So that's where my journey started. And then, you know, my first two companies um, we're in the fashion tech space. I started mm-hmm. when I was 19. I've done the bootstrap route. I've done the VC route. My last company exited in 2019. Um, and that led me to get shit done, which I'm sure we'll get into in terms of why that's important to me. Um, but just looking up and saying there needs to be a better way for women entrepreneurs to navigate the system. Um, because oh. fun fact, our motto at Get Shit Done is fuck 4%. We say we have potty mouths with the purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, in being is that most people focus on the 2% of funding, which actually only affects less than 1% of founders. So if you look at the funding um, space, um, 1% of funding goes to any entrepreneurs, probably less than that. Of that, 2% goes to women. It's a problem within that context, absolutely. But the rest of it is like, "Mm, there's a deeper problem. The deeper problem, especially for women entrepreneurs, is that actually we own nearly half of businesses, but we generate 4% of total revenues. That's the systemic problem. And so that's what led me to get shit done. Those accumulation of experiences tapped into my own personal life and what got me here, the vehicles, the people, the support, because I'm so tired of hearing about this hero's journey that makes it seem like people are just out here doing it by themselves and they become some superhero. It's like, no, really. And I don't believe in luck. Um, You are not going to take away from (laughs) my God or from how I busted my ass. Um, I think luck is really who you're surrounded by. When people say luck, I'm like, it's because you had all those people. Um, So that was my luck was all these people along the way. Uh, But then it led me to this place we're at to create systemic change for women entrepreneurs, which wouldn't have come without all those previous experiences and understanding um, and empathizing what the experience for women entrepreneurs is. Yeah, 100%. So, you know, you definitely just broke down a lot for us of the importance of like understanding where you come from and that accelerated you for where you wanted to go. So even before you knew that this was going to be the work that you were doing, you were seated with the idea that, and the reality that you could do whatever you wanted, no matter if it is starting companies, taking over the world, um, or, you know, doing this work to improve and just say, no, we're not going to worry about that 4% because we're going to raise that. We're going to make sure that, you know, the 50% of women-owned businesses are actually generating the revenue to match, generating the income, the the livelihood to actually match that. And so now I want to talk a little bit. um, So we're going to take a little bit, start from the beginning. I want to ask you about that early phase of like starting that company at 19. Um, So, you know, you mentioned it was like around 2008 recession. What was that like and what resources were made available to you? What did you have to teach yourself? Like what happened in that moment that led you from, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna start something cause I have to, and to like actually making it a reality. Yeah, for sure. I would say, and this, they have so many quotes around like, you know, <laughs> youth is one of the best, the best tools or like it's, what is wasted on youth or whatever. The young is mm-hmm. wasted on youth, something like that. Um, because in the moment, we don't even see how much of a privilege it is to be young and be naive. I constantly at 31 now had to remind myself when, because knowing too much sometimes is debilitating. 
yeah. and it stops you from moving because you're like, well, what if that happens? <laughs> Where when I was 19, I didn't know what could happen. And you will hear this from entrepreneurs all the time. It's like, if I would have known how hard it was gonna be, I would have never gotten started. That is the most beautiful thing about this is you don't wanna know all that stuff. You do know, wanna know basic things, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's important, but I think the best thing that I had as a 19 year old was I was super curious. That's actually one of our, our values that gets you done as a culture is like our three, three main, main, really, really core values are kind, not nice because nice is performative to me. Um, it is that curiosity, willing to, to ask questions, not be right. Like be curious. I think the best innovations in the world happen by curiosity and integrity, right? Um, being, being willing to, when no one's looking, you're going to do the right thing. And I think that curiosity in me as a kid, I was always asking questions where my mom was just like, shut the fuck up. You know? but I kept going to this day. My mom's like, you can talk Jesus. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. but I'm very curious about the world. So I think that was in my youth was in my, you know, it was a privilege, but also I was very curious. Um, and I think that curiosity led me to, um, in, instead of what we see in the world now and God bless Gen Z that grew up and mm -hmm. the alpha generation, which my nieces are a part of, of seeing all this content. That's like, you need to be right. You need to show that you you're perfect or whatever. And I've been plagued by that. Um, but it's the unlearning of that and saying, actually, when I thrive the most is when I can say, I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> actually, can someone tell me? I don't want to be the smartest person in the room. And if I am, I'm probably in the wrong rooms, um, you know, unless I want to, you know, give back and such. But I would say those are the tools I had is that I was willing to ask questions to people. I was willing to connect and collaborate, uh -huh. um, which I think is the most important. A lot of the shit can be taught. I don't think there is a template for being an entrepreneur, what school you went to. Actually, I think that can be debilitating. Um, but I think the most important thing is, are those three things of, are you kind? Are you curious? And do you have integrity? And if those things are true and you're willing to ask for help, you're willing to ask questions around things you don't know and surround yourself with people that can help to guide you with answers, I think you can do really well. Um, and then let's talk about privilege. And I always go back to this because I truly believe the moment you make yourself feel guilty about the privileges you have is when you weaponize it. Mm -hmm. um, couple things is that I went to one of the top schools in the world. So didn't come from money, but the moment I got into that school, it gave me access <laughs> to people and resources, yeah, a network that I could activate my curiosity with in ways that would go further than let's say some of my friends that were at surrounding schools uh -huh. that didn't have that stupid blue check mark. Because quite <laughs> frankly, I don't really care what school you went to. I, I think that's, I think higher education is a, a fraud in the US. Yeah. Um, it's ridiculous. It's a birthright to have education. Um, and then outside of that, there's other privileges of the fact that I am biracial, so I'm a light-skinned black woman. So I will get into rooms where I'm the quote-unquote acceptable Negro um, oh. because they're like, who are you? You're exotic. Yeah, um, so curious. So cool. So annoying. Um, and I'm aware of that. And um, But also will use it to my advantage to make sure I can get more people in the door. Um, and then outside of that pretty privilege. So there are a lot of those things that worked in my favor that I will not dismiss because I'm so, to your point, Georgie, before we got started, is so many people will give all these fluff, this fluff advice with good intentions, uh -huh. 
because we don't talk about the reality of everyone starting with some form of privilege that got us access and those were mine. Um, so I would say that's what helped me as a 19 year old is that curiosity, but also knowing that there was a few other things working to in my advantage. Yeah, and I love that you're calling out the privilege because just the other day, a friend and my, a friend and I were having this conversation, and you know, we were trying to put like words to it um, as um, you know, black kids that grow up in a world that like half of the time you're hearing you have to work twice as hard for half, right? That's a, that's you hear that in places, and then like you go into another room and you you know you're hearing um, from family or friends or just people around you, you can do whatever you want, you know, you're so smart, you're so amazing. And then there's like this select group of, I think, you know, black and brown kids that may get accepted to like, um, you know, private schools or their parents are able to put them into certain programs. And what happens is that you then level up, or even if you don't get into those specific programs, you just you just kind of get put into this category. I, I, I like to call it the Oreo, right? Like people describe you as an Oreo. You try to integrate with like, you know, the, the non-POC community, non-person of color community, and like you're acceptable, you're tokenized. And then when you try to go back to like the black community, your main community, it's just like, oh, you think you're too good for us. And so what happens is that you feel like you don't fit anywhere. So it's like, but I thought we wanted me to be great and excel and like, you know, move everyone up and you're just not fitting in anywhere. And it, and it can be confusing. Um, and I, I like the word that you use plagued by that, right? That over information and not, um, it, you know, you have to acknowledge this privilege. And some people might be like, oh, what do you mean privilege? Like you're a black person there, that doesn't exist. I'm just like, but it does. You have, there are different formats of privilege. And I think we talk way too much about white privilege. Like, yes, we all know that. But like you said, pretty privilege, um, that the, the, the um, having like a biracial family, um, having access to these schools, the net, these networks, and we, we forget these things oftentimes, or people don't mention them enough, um, that there's a whole different dynamic of lived experiences that you have and opportunities that are presented. And I really want to highlight what you talked about around curiosity, right? Um, that early, that young age, that phase, and that's one of our core values as well, is that you have to be curious because there's so much to learn. And I think we've shifted into a place where too much information is coming by too fast and we don't get to dive into it and make a mess of it. It's just like, oh, this happened, that happened, next, 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 next. And what happened to, oh, here's this information. Hmm, is that true? Is that false? Let me go on like a rabbit hole. Let me dive into it. Let me research it and come up with my own opinions around it. It's just like, here's my opinion. It's fact. I researched it already. Don't do anything around it. And then a person decides to believe that or not. And we saw that effect in the last couple elections um, <laughs> and oh, yeah. some decisions that people have made around, you know, whether it was COVID, the war in the Ukraine, like it's just why, you know, we, we are moving really fast, but let's just definitely, I just wanted to highlight those things, but we could now go back into conversation. So you had these businesses. Um, the first one you said was bootstrap. The second one was, um, had investor support. Can we talk a little bit about those varying experiences and things that, you know, you were happy about with the bootstrap and things that you were happy about around VC and things that you liked and disliked on both sides? Yeah. So, so two of my companies out of three have mm -hmm. our bootstrap. So I think, uh, and I think in context all day because my background is sociology. So I think in systems and context and how those connect with people mm -hmm. <laughs> and the effects. And so my brain is literally obsessing about that all day in entrepreneurship. Um, it is, it's a blessing and a curse um, because there's days I'm very angry. So um, <laughs> I would say, what I didn't know when I was younger until I got to my next company, so my first company, um, 
like many, I was told that there was this route to entrepreneurship um, that means success, and it's typically going to raise capital. Mm -hmm. um, what most people don't realize is that, again, to that stat I mentioned earlier, is that less than 1% of founders will get access to VC as a vehicle. Because it's not, it's not that it is, can it be exclusionary? Yes, but it's mostly exclusionary because it's not the right vehicle for most businesses. <laughs> And so the conversation we're having about making VC a villain because it's not, you know, supporting these black and brown and women and everything is like, is there work to be done there? Yes, because there are some bigots in that space. I've raised money. I, I definitely have seen it. <laughs> but the reality of it is it's an exclusionary vehicle because there's only a certain type of company that will actually benefit from it. Mm -hmm. And most entrepreneurs, because we don't talk about what it means to build a VC backed company. Most entrepreneurs are really not about that life. They don't really want it. And what I realized before we started to get shit done was that when people were saying I need capital, what they were really saying was revenue. I need mm -hmm. revenue. Yep. And so my first company, I started pitching investors, whatever, um, but then realized I was young. I was 19, 19 year old CEO, thought going into business with my friends was the move and it's <laughs> really not. Um, I'm a very, I, I love this quote from Jeff Bezos, like be stubborn on the vision, flexible on the details. I had to, I'm, I'm still stubborn, but I've learned, um, <laughs> grown. um, that didn't work out. But then when I got to my next company, it was being more intentional about the why, why are we going down this route? And I really, and that did made me decide too. I'll get to get you done. Why I decided to bootstrap this company in the way we are. And then we use other vehicles as capitalization, which I'm happy to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, but when we look at my last company, it was more so, okay, well, VCs are partners. This is not a charity. No one owes you a check. And reparations is a whole different conversation. <laughs> but when it comes to this vehicle in business, and, and this is what I try to advise entrepreneurs on because they usually don't know this, is when you're deciding whether you want VC or not, you need to see if the incentives are aligned. So this is how you can do it is a, what do you want? Where do you want this company to go? What's your vision of impact? And then more importantly, what does that look like? Do you want to be running this company in a few years? Um, do you want the control? Do you want to exit and be whatever? Um, and I knew in my last company, it was an exit. I'm like, no more than 10 years, I want to be out and then go do my <laughs> next thing, right? And that align, and I'm like, I want to make this big impact, but I don't necessarily need to run this thing forever. And that aligned very well with the incentives of VCs, which are, they have a fiduciary responsibility. VCs have to, and they're raising money from their LPs. So those are their investors. Yep. And their fiduciary responsibility is if a VC says they're in it for, with you for the long run. And it's so funny. I go on these panels with VCs and it's like, I'm giving away their secrets. They're like, well, not us. And I'm just <laughs> like, get the fuck out of here. Yes, it is. Even if it's maybe a few more years, it's your responsibility to get a return. Yep. Stop bullshit. And that, that's the annoy. I clap back at VCs all day. They're my friends, but I still clap back at them. And I'm just like, please stop. Stop spinning this PR thing where you want to look good. Because the reality is for their funds to make sense, because VC is the worst performing asset class, because there's so much risk and uncertainty. Mm -hmm. um, is that they need to get a return five to seven years, no more than 10. There's some exceptions, but for the most part, they need a return. Otherwise, this is a charity. And that's not what business is. Yeah. Um, no more than 10. So when they say long haul, 
no more than 10. They need to see their gold standard for growth each year for entrepreneurs is 3x growth year over year. That's a golden goose. They see that they're so excited. Um, and they want to see multiple multiples on their return. The bo bo the bottom is 3x their, their investment. Mm -hmm. But you get companies, and this is why they go after very few, you get companies like uh, Instagram that gave like 100x the return. That's why, like, as an asset class, VCs and give y'all peep on game, most of them will invest in, if there's a room of 20, one or two, maybe we'll get a check. <laughs> maybe. And then of that, VCs only expect, on average, a third of their portfolio to actually perform. So they know over 60% of those companies won't work out. Yeah. So if you look at the incentives, a lot of the incentives for VCs is not for your company to work in the way you want it to work. It's to work in the way they need to get their return. And even if it doesn't work out, they might write you off. It might not invest that time and energy because they're like, I got to go look at the unicorns. That's why we have a stupid word, unicorn, because they know they maybe only need one or two. To make and that's it all how work. Most, make it all work. And that's how most VC funds operate. There's only a few the 80 20 rule there's only a few and i would say it's less than for vcs less than 20 percent of their portfolios are actually producing results the rest are like nah, okay <laughs> that's why it's an awful asset class it's just like we're only it's very trickle downy it's like we're only expecting these golden gooses and it's like but what happens if you expect more to win um so that's a long tangent because i talk about that all the time um what led me even to get shit done of looking at the dynamics and the systems that weren't in place for women entrepreneurs. And I'm just like, I truly believe entrepreneurship is a, an amazing vehicle to scale generational impact. And for women entrepreneurs, um, understanding how to navigate those systems and saying, let's redefine what scale means because it might not be a billion. Because again, we're going back to this 1%. Most companies won't get to a billion. What if it's 10 million? What if it's 100? What if it's 50? What if it's a million? Like, yeah. let's talk about that. Because if we go back to the numbers again, only 1.7% of women have ever gotten beyond a million in revenue. I'm grateful that I've done it. Um, there's more that can be doing it. But when we look at that 4% number, and which most people don't talk about, is that women entrepreneurs, nearly 90% are generating well under 100,000 a year. That's what we're mm -hmm. up against. Um, and so when I even looked at starting get shit done, I had investors from my former business because investors invest in people. Yeah. They're like, okay, that thing didn't work, but I believe I like in you. you. <laughs> right. like, I think whatever you'll do is get, something's going to work. Cause they believe in you. <laughs> I had people that didn't even know what I was doing. They were like, you want to check? And I'm like, no. And here's why I said no. And decision-making um, in running businesses is that I knew with the work we we're doing at Get Shit Done, this is systemic work. This is not a five to seven year exit. It's not a 10 year exit. Oh, this is life work that I remember even talking to an advisor the other day and they're like, you have to be comfortable that all the changes you wanna see probably aren't gonna happen in your lifetime. Facts. So Facts. what are you right now to be able to build up so the next generation can take it over? And that's what I want is that I want to be able to build such an amazing engine and vehicle with the company as we're scaling it and have the right people in place that carry on the legacy mm -hmm. of the impact we envision for the world in moving women beyond 4%. So that's how I made those decisions 
around running businesses and how to capitalize. Um, and it needed to be in alignment with my vision of impact versus the cool thing everyone's talking about. Awesome. Because again, most entrepreneurs are not about that VC life. They just don't know it. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's where most companies, most entrepreneurs suffer, right? Um, they suffer in the space of you don't know what you don't know. And I'm really grateful that I have this show. I have this podcast that we can talk about these tough things because you'll get into a room and then you're applying, applying, applying for VC. You're applying for these programs and accelerators, incubators, all these things. And you're not getting in and you're wondering, is it me? Am I broken? Am I not the good thing? And it's just like, it's just not a fit. If you were exactly. trying to push a square through like a circle, you, no, maybe one day after a hundred years, after you've now broken pieces of that square, it may fit in, but it's now so damaged that at the other side, it's not worth it. And, you know, I see people, people would come to me and like, oh, you know, um, how do you get investors? And it's like, what, what are people investing in? Please tell me. Cause I don't, I don't see it. I don't know. You have a fitness yeah. brand that's not even selling, you know, you're coaching and maybe somewhere down the line, there is room and you can figure out some software technology, blah, blah, blah. But is that necessary? You know, let's focus on getting customers. Let's focus on generating revenue because capital doesn't mean somebody else putting money into your business. How is your business making money for your business? Exactly. Uh. Exactly. And to your point, I think, and this is actually really telling when we are going into economic uncertainty as we are right now. Mm -hmm. um, which you shouldn't be that scared about um, unless um, they increase interest rates and that's on them. They need to not do that. But long story short is the best thing you can learn as an entrepreneur is what the, the VCs are even saying, the experts, quote unquote, everyone's a freaking expert today, use <laughs> um, wisely. Um, but what they're saying to protect yourself and I always laugh because you have all these VCs saying money's drying up. I see this all the time. So many entrepreneurs, because the last two years there were stupid valuations and most of those companies aren't performing. Or failed um, already. Like I'm They just... already failed. Oh, I I, my, I have so many friends that are VCs and they text me back. <laughs> A, um, one of them told me the other day where his portfolios are and he was my, his current recent investments. And he was like, this one just failed. Um, these two are okay. This one's doing real, really well. And it goes back to the third of their portfolio. Another one's like, I ain't giving out no checks. I'm chilling right now. <laughs> and there's what they call dry powder. And so when they, all this information coming out, be very diligent about listening in to what they're saying. A lot of them are saying, well, entrepreneurs, you should be really focused on achieving profitability, really going and focusing on sales, getting those customers to your point, Georgie. Um, and it's so funny to me, I laugh and I'm like, they should be doing that now, starting now. <laughs> what were you doing before? <laughs> what, were, what were we doing before? Oh, so when everything's hunky-dory, it's okay to run a Ponzi scheme. Because essentially that's what these companies are until you've proven your business model. You're, you're literally robbing Peter to pay Paul. Mm -hmm. And there are so many companies that operate this way because there's this vehicle saying it's okay until until they don't want to give out no checks. And now they need their current portfolios to really perform. So it's most telling in times like these, what people are saying to focus on. And again, going back to why the dynamics of our society is the way it is in terms of the really, really the disproportionate numbers, like the 1% of wealth and whatever, is that we are preaching to people to be dependent on systems that don't have our best interests. 
Let's go. <laughs> but the moment that shit goes awry, now we need to be team players and now we need to focus on the business model. But it works for them when you're in survival mode because mm -hmm. let's say you do have a VC back company. This is a freaking feast for VCs right now. I've heard I've heard my friends say this. My VC friends are like, yeah, this is this is a great market for us because there's so many entrepreneurs who are in survival mode because they didn't focus on the business model. And that VC knows they can come in and get a deal. Yep. A okay, here's deal. here's some crumbs. Can I have 55 in your company? And it's not your, it's like you did all that work for what? Ownership matters. I don't care what no one says. Ownership matters. There's these stupid things around like, well, what's, you know, 50, 100% of nothing. And it's just like, okay, yeah, yes and no. <laughs> because it's so funny how we will go against our own best interests to be in proximity to whiteness and systems and power. It is, that's a whole thing. I think I obsess yeah. about this all day, but I'm gonna stop there. Um, but yes. Yes, that that's that's how I navigate and make decision is it needs to come back to what my vision of impact and I hope entrepreneurs are doing this your vision of impact and sometimes that vision isn't in alignment with the status quo and what looks simple and VC is not simple. It's really hard mm -hmm. um, and what feels right because you're the one growing this business. So it needs to feel right for you every day to get up to do this very hard work. Yes. And I literally texted a friend today, today, he, he, he was mentioning, you know, I need to go into CEO mode. I have to really build, build, build. And I'm just like, what do you really, really want? He's like, and I was like, do you want to be a CEO? He's like, well, I want to have more time for myself and being, I was like, well, the path that you're trying to be on versus the results that you want don't add up before you think of the business, before you think of your family, before you think of your employees, think of yourself. And people are like, but that's selfish. I'm like, well, no, if you think of it as this way, if I'm good and my cup is flowing over, then think of ways to put other or align other people's cups underneath here so that they can get all the overflow because overflow is going to always be more abundant than, oh, I have one cup. Let me use a little dropper and drop one drop here, one drop here. Is everybody, you know, feeling good? Is everybody uh, no longer thirsty? And the answer will be continuously, no, I need more. I need more. I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. And then you're depleting, depleting. So, you yeah. know, we have to put ourselves in that position. And so now that leads me to the question that, um, you know, we asked on the show is just, can you tell us one of the misadventures that you've been on? Um, and then we're going to follow up with, you know, just how do you manage your mental health throughout this process? So just, has there been any specific misadventure? You mentioned a few so far that you want to share quickly with us that you experienced um, being an entrepreneur. It could be in this business or a previous business. Mm -hmm. So I'd say what led me to get shit done from my previous business was the misadventure that was the best the worst and best thing that ever happened to me in business, which is typically true. Yes. <laughs> um, so we're moving along. It's, you know, five and a half years in building this multi-million dollar company. We raise capital. We're getting, you know, prepared for an exit, all this stuff. And I remember one day, you know, actually a year before this day happened, um, I am feeling just like it's not in alignment. Like I wasn't, I was exhausted by what we were doing. Mm. Um, but I kept shutting it down. I'm like, I should, I always say my first, my first book's going to be called fuck the should be's because when we should <laughs> on ourselves, that's the worst. We don't really get to shine in the way we were designed to. I kept shitting on myself for a year, even though I had all these signs to be like, no, you need to go like literally the universe was like, you need to go build your next thing. Um, but I was like, no, we need to get to the exit. I need to be a part of it. And so much of my identity was wrapped up in what I did. And I was make defining that as who I was, which is a very scary place, very scary place to be in. So fast forward a year later, 
I get this um, invite on my on my calendar from my previous co-founder, and um, I was like, this is odd, this is random, but whatever. But I felt this really weird tension and anxiety. Mm. So I get to this meeting, and mind you, she was always on time, <laughs> and I was always like, once. I was like, I'm here first, something's weird. Um, and so she comes down, and then right behind her is one of our um, VCs on our board. And mm. I'm like, hmm, okay. And I'm like, this should be fun. So they sit down and they look at me and they're like, oh, Alex, you're such a hustler. We want to raise your salary by X percent, which is laughable because if you're an entrepreneur, you know, we're all paid under market. And I was like, that's really cute. Um, give me that inequity. What's the but? And they were like, well, we need you to step down as CMO to make room for gray hairs. I was the youngest person on my team by mm. five years five and nine years, um, I was the only black person on my team. And we were getting ready to go into another round of fundraising. And you hear this a lot, the gray hair story. People are like, oh, that's common in startups or whatever. Um, but it's saying, huh, well, we need to prove that this can work, but we need to have the gray hairs to prove it out which was so funny because all these, all these things started popping up what I wasn't doing well. And I'm like, we've never had these conversations before. Where's it come from? Right. <laughs> and it's so funny because in that moment, I remember it was just like, it was feeling like I was in like mortal Kombat, where it was like, finish him. Like, <laughs> you know, it was, Oh, gray hairs. Um, Oh, well maybe you can be a marketing manager. I was a CMO and interim CEO at some point. What? As well as, as well as the shit ton of capital. Um, and I'm like, continue, continue. It was like, oh, don't worry. You're going to be his marketing manager, but still do your roles as the founder and CMO. And so this person can take credit. <laughs> this gray hair. Uh, no. Hell <laughs> no. Uh, like, that's cute. Continue. And the finishing part, the like KO part was, and we think you should tell the company so it would look like an act of courage. And I just remember, man, people, the audacity, audacity. <laughs> What's that one woman? Are you ashamed? Are you not embarrassed? Like <laughs> that was before this woman, this, this thing came around and went viral, but that's how I felt. But there was all these feelings at one time it was in, cause I'm a naturally angry person. Like oh, I go to anger first, um, I'm ready to like fight, but mm -hmm. that there was sadness. There was anxiety of like, what's next? Because now I had to do the work of undoing this feeling like, who am I without it? Yeah. But then the other weird thing was this feeling of freedom. Mm. I had to grasp all those feelings over the next you know, couple years of what that meant. That was one of the worst things that happened to me in business, but here's how it became the best thing that happened to me in business, is the fact that it led me to get shit done because I had already been feeling and vocalizing how I felt about what was happening in the women entrepreneurship space. I'm like, well, on one side, we're saying, look at all these women starting companies. Black women are at the top starting companies. But I'm just like, I'm in all these rooms and A, I'm usually one of the few women and I'm usually the only black person. Um, and on the other side is people saying, well, if they only had an investor, every, all their problems would be solved. And I was just so irritated because I'm like, no, it's not. I haven't, I had investors at the time. I'm like, you don't solve your problems. It don't solve your problems. It will amplify what's already there. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I remember it, what it didn't hit me until maybe a year after 
that I needed to go through that because so often in these spaces, we preach to entrepreneurs about getting it done and whatever. And there's all these experts, all these coaches, uh, but nobody wants to talk about the reality of what it feels like to go through these experiences. And I truly believe the universe made me go through that so I could have the level of compassion and empathy I have for the many women that are in our community today that go through our programs because I'm not preaching at them. I'm coming from a place of alignment and saying, I see you. Yeah. Our team can say, I see you. And so when we create, we create from the place that we're gonna put you first because I know what it's like to feel so powerless in my own company. And so many entrepreneurs feel that, but there's such a shame of, especially with women and people of color, of trying to prove to the world that we are competent. And so we don't talk about these things out loud because of a sense of shame of, I should have known better. How would you know better if no one's talking about it? Hello. No one's talking about what happens. Hello. So that was one of my misadventures that put me on the path to the best adventure of my life so far. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, and as we come to the end, I want to ask you, you know, are there any tools that you use to manage these emotions, these feelings and your mental health and just overall well-being while experiencing these things as an entrepreneur do you, that you recommend uh, for others or just that you use for yourself? Yeah, I'm really careful about recommending things because I truly think everyone's designed differently. 100%. Um, so I would, I'll start with A, you have to get very clear on what you need. Mm -hmm. um, and what works for you because people will be like, go to yoga, meditate on it. I do truly believe in meditation. Um, it takes time though. It feels, yeah. I remember it used to feel like work because people were like, turn off your thoughts. And I'm like, turn off your face. That doesn't make sense. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Turn off my thoughts, you know? And it wasn't until this one woman, she was just like, and if that thought comes, just say, acknowledge it and just say, not right now. And then keep going. And you just keep doing that practice. And you will have maybe meditations where it's just you saying, not right now, not right now, but it gets you that place. Um, but I would say like, when I talk about finding what works best for you, so even the way you're designed. So um, something that's really important to me and should be for everyone is sleep. Mm -hmm. um, I am a, an eight hour person. <laughs> this five, six, nah, that's cool. That's cute for anybody I gotta do that. Like that works for them. I have people in my family that way. I am a true sleeper. I sleep. <laughs> On the weekends, I sleep 10 hours. I do not play with my sleep because I go so hard during the day. Um, I'm a very focused, like, mm -hmm. do -do -do at once. My team calls me a hurricane. They're like, wow, it's not messy. It's just so much happened at once. Um, so it's what I can do in four hours is what a lot of people do in a week. Yeah. Um, so I need to sleep a lot. And so I say that to people because we are socialized with that example. We're socializing. Well, we need to... Um, you got to wake up at the crack ass dawn of dawn, 5 a.m. You ain't waking me up at 5 a.m. Unless you flight. Like, there's no way. I don't even want to. I don't take meetings before 10 a.m. Because I don't want to see humans. I don't want to talk to before then. Mm -hmm. And so I am. I started time blocking my day based on when I'm optimized best. So for me personally, it is. I don't take meetings before 10 a.m. I usually don't want to do real work like execution until noon one. So I block off my schedule and no one can get on my schedule between them. My Calendly is set up that way. I take meetings between 10 to 12 to one, depending. And then everything else is open um, for me to execute around four, six. I go to the gym, I eat, I do what I need to do for me because I hit a wall. 
And then I get my second win usually around eight, nine, and then up till 12, 1 a.m. That's when I get my best work done. So if I need to do creative stuff, strategy stuff, the way people feel about mornings, that's how I feel about the nighttime. So I gave that example because I don't think there's a one size fits all. I think it's really optimizing for how you're designed and and accepting it instead of all these stupid ass articles about the here are the top traits of successful people. Um, no, the, the top traits of successful people are people that are operating how they're optimized. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, things I do for myself are just like, I meditate every morning when I wake up, I always say thank you. It's just ingrained in me. Mm-hmm. I, I say thank you. I meditate. I pray. Um, if I feel called to it, I journal. I don't like to put rigid stuff around. I got to journal every day. Sometimes I don't feel like it. It feels like work, right? Um, and then if I feel like reading, it's just like making sure I'm doing things for myself. Um, I take one day off a week. My goal mm-hmm. is to move to two. Um, I now do... Um, one week off a quarter instead of waiting for one big vacation where I'm on vacation. It's really me trying to recover from how burnt out I am. Mm-hmm. And so instead of waiting till then, um, but this is stuff you have to, there's no like band aid. You have to explore your needs. You're not going to get it right all the time. But as you start learning yourself and, and responding and listening into what you actually need, you're going to start saying, oh, this is what I need to do for me. I need to go on a walk. And I do my salsa classes every Sunday, which I do. Like, it's just, it's trial and error. And I think giving yourself grace to figure that out is really important versus listening to what everybody else is doing because what works for them might not work for you. Absolutely. And to close us out, I'd love for you to leave a piece of advice with the audience um, that you, you want to share. It could be a quote, it could be a one sentence, just any piece of advice you want to leave with the audience. Advice. Mm, there's so many things. Um, I mean, honestly, I would just say, and this is probably, this is probably really generic, but like, do you, I would say, I would say the most success I've ever had is because I did not compromise who I was. When I was 19, I didn't have no experience. I didn't know shit. I was able to, you know, pitch investors and go into rooms because I believed so much in myself and had, you know, the confidence, again, going back to the tools and the privilege I had with family, Mm -hmm. Um, but also believing so much in my own abilities and knowing that I don't need to shape shift. I don't need to code switch to be accepted in these spaces. And actually, the moments people leaned in the most to me were the ones where I was being so fully myself. Mm-hmm. They were like, oh, I fucks with you. So even the people, the people in the world right now that we think are the craziest were like, oh, they're just, oh, love them or hate them. Kanye West is a great example. Trump is a great example. Elon. <laughs> the problem is when your ego gets in the way, it can be used for evil. Yeah. But when you are in alignment with yourself and are so accepting of you, while being in collective service, while being generous by being kind, it goes so far. You will build your tribe and the people that wanna see you shine will show up in droves. So that's generic do you, but that's honestly the most success I've ever had is when I was so Alex. And I also being okay with the fact that you're not everyone's flavor. I know when I go into spaces, I'm like, you either, I don't like indifference. So. <laughs> 
You either gonna like me or you not gonna like me. And I'm okay because I never wanna leave a conversation where someone was just like, she was meh. No, <laughs> like me or don't. I don't want indifference. So, and I think that comes from being so aligned in who you are. So I, I, I think that would be my advice. All right. Today. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Alex. Folks, if you want to check out Alex as well as learn more about her business, Get Shit Done, you could definitely do so by clicking um, the, the information in the show notes. If you're watching on YouTube, it's going to be in the description box below. And we will see you in another episode of Doing the Most, The Misadventures of Entrepreneurship. Thank you again, Alex. Thanks.